from Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. How we doing? We're out here post-Thanksgiving. All right. So I can remember what it was called. What's the stuff that's in the turkey that makes you sleepy? Tryptophan is in the house. All right. Um, hey, a couple weeks ago, I shared, a, uh, shared an illustration about when I was in the Air Force Academy, and I didn't even get to the punchline. It was supposed to be a joke because you guys laughed immediately when I said I was at the Air Force Academy, and I did not appreciate that, Okay. <laughs> But it made me do some self-reflection, and I started thinking about my Air Force days. Let me, that's just a nice little, so that one's for free. Anytime someone's laughing at you, just funnel that thing into some self-reflection and growth opportunity, okay? It's a growth mindset in Jesus' name. But I started thinking about some of my Air Force days, and uh, some of you, this is the life you lived, but it was new to me at Air Force, is we, they took our cell phones away when we went to basic training. You know, some of you are like, that's how I lived my entire life for most of it, you know? That sounds really hard, and I'm really sorry. Because it was terrible, right? We would have to write letters to people when we were in there. It was just really, really hard. You know, letters, but people, some, some of the older folks, they're like, letter, bring back letters. You know, they want a revival of letters. And I, I'm kind of with you. But we used to write these letters uh, to our family, to our friends, and they, they were great. Like every day you would look forward, like you'd run to the mailbox and you would want a letter from somebody. And every time you got a letter, it was amazing. Like you'd open that thing and it would be like, it would be just the, the encouragement from your mom, dad, stepmom, whoever else is writing you a letter. It'd be just what you needed. But what's funny is those letters would be great for like a couple, for, for a couple days, and then, it would, and then it would fade. But there was something so beautiful and powerful that would happen when basic training was over. Is, is the parents and the family, they would come to kind of see you graduate from basic training. And all these words that you pass back and forth, you would write letters, receive letters. It was like in a moment, you had no more words because you were just like with your person, you know? 
know what I'm talking about? You tracking with me? You didn't need to say anything. People just run up and just hug their mom or their dad, and they'd be like, it's so hard in here. You know, they just hug. I did at least. Okay, that was me. I'm not kind of, some people were hard, tough, and they liked it. I don't know. Okay, I'll hug them, and you didn't even need a word because you just have the presence of another person. And ultimately, that's, that's where Isaiah leads us here as we funnel into the end of his series. He, he, he gets to the heart cry of the human heart. That the words, the thoughts, the ideas, they're all great. But at the end of the day, what you really, really long for is God's presence. More than anything, you need to experience the embrace and the love and the tenderness. And in some of the language that he uses here, the earthquake and the fire of his presence. It's what our hearts really, really long for. And so I got like a one-point sermon today. Is that okay? Can we handle one point? We're just going to talk about God's presence this morning. Our longing for his presence, our pursuit of his presence, and ultimately our desperate need of his presence. So Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the moments that we share. We thank you for your presence with us, even as we sing. You say that you inhabit the praises of your people and even as we're singing, we just sense and feel your presence here. You're not somewhere out there. You're in our hearts. You're in the room this morning. This passage is beautiful because it explains that you don't stand at a distance, but you draw near to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray like we do every week, like we've been praying since our 845 prayer meeting this morning. We invite your presence to come. We don't need any more information this morning. I have no new thoughts or ideas or, or anything new. And we don't need that. We need your presence to come this morning. And so would you speak to us? Would you minister to our own hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Isaiah begins this passage, and it starts, what we just read, is it's right in the middle of this long prayer from Isaiah. A prayer of praise and thanksgiving, rejoicing over all that God's done all that he is, his character, his nature, the God who set them free from captivity. And it's also a prayer of honesty and disappointment, wrestling with that same exact God. And that's the place we find ourselves all the time. Looking back with joy and celebration, we sing that song, Exodus, and we know that God who has delivered us into the promised land. And in the same way, we, we, we come into this place with stories that don't feel that way. We have uh, experiences with a God who, who, who's revealed his power and his freedom and his grace to us. And we have stories that are riddled with disappointment and letdowns, our own personal failures, loss, grief, pain, suffering. And even over this past week, as families connect all over, we all experience this. Moments of reflection and gratitude and, and thanksgiving and thankfulness. But just as real are the relational fallouts, the prodigal children, the unresolved medical diagnosis. And it's in that place where real prayer is. It's in that place where Isaiah bursts in with this powerful intercessory plea to God. It's right here at the marriage of honesty and hope, of disappointment and longing, of desperation and faith. 
that Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. I mean, Isaiah, after, after everything he's seen and heard, we, we've been, this is the last week of Isaiah, just so, just so you know, so you're not hanging on anymore. Isaiah, you get 64, you're like, all right, we're good. We did, we did Isaiah, okay, 64 chapters. We did about 15 of them, but that's still a lot, right? That's, still, that's a lot of chapters. But after everything he's seen, he's heard, he's experienced, Isaiah, who is a prophet, who we, we've explained as a seer, he has the ability to, to, to see what is actually happening. He's not just confined to the, to the right here, right now, but, but God has granted him the ability to see what's happening in the heavens, what's happening future, what's happened in the past. After all of that, someone who can see reality with all of that in mind, he stands in the gap and he says, Lord, just rip open the heavens and come here. Almost every prayer of supplication or intercession, it mirrors this very prayer. Oh, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. From the Psalms to Isaiah to Paul to Jesus himself, it reveals the deepest longings of our hearts and the greatest need in our lives is for God to come down. It's what Jesus himself says at the very center of his teaching on prayer. He says, pray like this, that your kingdom, God, would come that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, that you would come down. Some of you, I can tell, you're looking at me a little funny, you're like, Cam, I've read Psalm 139, okay? God is everywhere, so why does he need to come down, you know? Some of you are there, let me explain that to you, okay? The front row people are not here today. Usually I would look right at them, and they're like, I can tell Cam's gonna come at me this morning, so I'm gonna stay with my family, not here. But you're right. There's a difference between God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence. By the way, if you ever just want to flex in a prayer gathering and a Bible study, just hit all the omnis. You know, it's like, don't just say God's everywhere. You got to say God is omnipresent. Lord, we thank you for your omnipresence in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you're all-knowing. We thank you that you're omniscient. Is that how you say it? All right, thank you. See, I don't really try to flex in the prayer things. But he's everywhere. David says that in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. That's God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. There's no escaping him. But then there's something different that we see is the, the, the entire narrative of the Old Testament into the New, and it's God's manifest presence or God's tangible presence or what Ray Ortland has called his felt presence. It's a theme all through the scriptures from the garden to the temple or the tabernacle and that's really what the narrative of Scripture is all about. It's about God's people getting back into God's presence. In fact, the, the, the major effect of sin is not just our moral, uh, moral sin or, or even rebellion, but it's our lost access to the presence of God. Leanne Payne, she says it this way. She says, separation from his presence is quite literally what the fall is, that we've lost access to his presence. And yet we, we as Jesus followers, do you know that you have access to his presence? You currently, right now, have access to the presence of God. Even when you look at the Old Testament, the, the, the temple, the sacrificial system to get into the temple, what was it even for? The only purpose of it was so that we could get into the presence of God, to get into the temple where it said his manifest presence where there, where his glory would fill the space that we could get into his presence. And I know some of you, you were told not to, sm- to smoke, not to drink, not to chew, or to hang with people who do. I've heard some people say that. 
I didn't grow up with that. I, I got taught to smoke, to drink, and to chew, and to hang with people who do, okay? That's the good time if you want to hang out with some folks. But some of you were told that because grandma told you, they said, don't do that because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, you heard that? You heard that? Or, or uh, some, some people who like, you know, they're, they're, they're flexing on Instagram. They got the cut up abs. They're drinking like a vegan protein shake. They're like, my body's a temple. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about? That, that's fine. I actually don't think that's terrible. But it's not at all the imagery that the scriptures are trying to paint. It's actually one of the most beautiful imageries of all of the scriptures. That you and I, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's the theme in all of creation. See, see, in the temple in the Old Testament, they would have to make sacrifice to atone for their sins so that they could enter into the temple to get into the presence of God, to get God's people back into his presence. And then Jesus comes into the world. We're about to sing about this in Advent in a couple weeks, right? What do we call him? Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Hello, we're not here. We got the, the tryptophan is in the house this morning, okay? God with us. God's presence comes to us. He is the living temple. And then Jesus becomes the sacrificial system. He dies for us. And then he is raised from the grave, ascends into heaven, and sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. That we might be his dwelling place. That you and I might become the temples of the Holy Spirit. That, that ought to make you stand up and shout that you have access to the presence of God. As an individual and as a church. It's what Joel just read in Ephesians 2. He says, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The people of God coming together to be a dwelling place to host the presence of God. That's why we're here this morning. Is that why you, you come here this morning like, I just can't wait to get into God's house to be in the presence of God with other people this morning. That's what we're doing. It's all about his presence. And that's the spirit of prayer, that's the spirit of this prayer. It's not just like, God, you're everywhere. Help us to trust that, Lord. Help us to open our eyes to see that you are everywhere. That's not it, but it's an outcry to say, God, we need you here. And Isaiah's not just like thinking about it or considering it, but he's longing for it. I mean, that word, oh, you see that in the Old Testament in the Psalms from time to time, that word, oh, it's not just like a, a filler, like, um, or, uh, it's like, uh, Lord, uh, it's, Oh, it's, it, it's meant to be this, like, oh, Lord, you know? It's meant to be, it's a, it's a guttural, instinctual cry of the heart. Oh, Lord, that you would come here, that you would come. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would rip open the heavens and come down. Saying, reading about you, learning about you is great, but God, if your presence isn't here, I have I have nothing. Without you, I have nothing. It's not a theory or just theology, but it's a heart cry of passion that comes from Isaiah's gut. And again, it's how Jesus teaches us to pray and how Paul even prays in his letters. You ever read Paul's letters in the New Testament? He'd just be like writing to people, like writing all these things, and all of a sudden he just like bursts out into prayer. He just starts praying, oh God, this is great, and all this stuff, but God, would you open our eyes to see the reality? Would you fill us with the fullness of God? Because he knows his thoughts, his, his concepts, his ideas are nothing without the presence of God. That's what Jesus says in John 15. He says, apart from me, you'll, you'll do okay. That's not what he says. <laughs> apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from his presence, what can you accomplish? Jesus says, nothing. Even to Moses, Moses, who... who, who, who 
has this incredible calling to, to lead God's people. It is, it is the major celebration of the Old Testament people is the ministry of Moses, bringing people out of captivity and into the promised land, way beyond anything Moses could have dreamt up, way beyond his talents or capabilities. I mean, most people said that my boy Moses had some kind of speech impediment. He's got a stuttering problem, and yet God chooses him to be his mouthpiece on behalf of Israel. And there's this moment where Moses, much like us, is way more aware of his own weakness and insecurity and failures and shortcomings than he is God's presence and power. But to all the doubts and to all the fears, God gives him one thing. He says, Moses, I will be with you. Moses then, he he so internalizes that that at some point in time, God gives him this promise and he's like, I don't care about the promise, I don't care about the strategy, I don't care about the plan because if your presence doesn't come with me, I don't want to go. He's so aware of his, he cannot do anything apart from the presence of God. That's what God says to him. I know you feel inadequate. I know you feel like you don't have much to give, that you don't have what it takes to accomplish this assignment, but I will be with you, and that is enough. The one irrepressible need of our life is the presence of God. It's why Jesus himself, he closes his teaching on prayer with this invitation to keep seeking and asking and knocking, but then he drops this in. At the end, the irrepressible need of our life. He says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Jesus is saying God loves to give himself to us. I mean, to pray like this is not to like twist God's arm to try to make him do something that he doesn't already want to do. To pray, God, rip open the heavens and come down to us. That's what he wants to do. And he's the only one who does that, by the way. He's the only God in all of creation who comes down to his people. That's what he says in verse 4. Isaiah says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I mean, every other worldview, every other religion, every other God says, make your way up. But the God of the Bible is fundamentally different than that. I mean, everywhere you look in our world, it'll it'll say perform enough, achieve enough, be moral enough, be good enough, make your way up. Whether it's just religion or self-achievement, that's the narrative. Act on behalf of your God. Prove your worthiness, your holiness. Earn it, deserve it. But Isaiah says, you and you alone are the one who acts on behalf of us. We're the only religion in the world where God does not stand at a distance, but he comes to us. And it's seen all through the scriptures, from the garden to Babel to Moses. But it's even most clearly seen in the person of Jesus who comes down to us, who puts on flesh and bone to breathe our air and walk in our shoes to live the life that we were made to live, and then die the death that was due to us. I mean, the character of God is seen in the person of Jesus, who Luke says came to seek and to save that which is lost. I mean, do you you, you hear the initiating language there? (laughs) Jesus has come to seek and to save. Jesus has come to us. 
I mean, what's he up to right now? That's what he's doing. You don't have to like wonder. I wonder what God's, he's, he, he's, he's pursuing us. It's not something we have to conjure up in our own mind or, or beg him to do. It's, it's something that he already wants to do. It's like saying, oh, Cam, that you would rend the heavens and come play golf, you know? I'm like, bro, don't twist my arm. I'm, I'm in. Let's go. I already want to play golf. I want to do that, okay? You don't have to be like, Cam, it's really fun outside. It's nice. The, the, it's fun to hit the, I'm like, I'm good. I'm in, you know? You don't have to twist my arm. I want to do it. That's what he's saying. But for a lot of us, that's not what we believe, Our natural assumption is not that God wants to do these things. Not that he would want to come down or reveal himself to us, but that he would rather stay at a distance and see if we can make it on our own. And then, you know, if we fall or we trip or we kind of struggle along the way, maybe he'll be there to pick us up and carry us for a little bit. But that's a lie. (laughs) Like there is a lie from the enemy around the willingness of Jesus to come to us. I feel like the past couple years I've just been slowly reading through the Gospels and you cannot read the Gospels and not see a willing Jesus. He does not stand at a distance. Time and time again, they're like, Jesus, can you? Yeah, I'm there. I'm, I'm in. Can, can I do that? Am I willing? It's what he wants to do. It's who he is. He doesn't stand at a distance. He's so willing. But there's a subtle lie. It says he's not willing. You've got to get yourself right first. Got to pray this right, pray. Got to read this book. Got to do whatever it is. I'm telling you this morning, that is a lie. I don't know if there's a prayer that glorifies and gives more honor to God than this. Come, Lord. We want you here. We need you here. But it's hard to believe. And it's hard to believe that God is willing a lot of times just because that's who we are as people. Because I look at a God who's perfect and beautiful and good and gracious, and I, <laughs> I look at me. <laughs> I'm like, how could you be willing to come here? Because I'm very aware of my own stuff, you know? No one's more aware of their own stuff than, <laughs> than you are. Because <laughs> our hearts are not bent towards this kind of prayer. Our hearts are not bent towards this kind of longing, but instead we, we do, we drift towards making it on our own. It's what Isaiah says. He says, I've, I, I've seen us at our best. <laughs> I've seen it. He says, we've all become like the one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind. They take us away. We say in all our best efforts, our best efforts, our, our most righteous things, they're nothing but polluted garment, which is a super tame translation, by the way. I'm just gonna, not going to say it, but you can Google it if you want to. That's very tame. That's very, that, that's, he's saying something way, way worse than that, but Jude's here, so I don't want to say that. Okay? Love you, Jude. You ever had that moment? You ever have moments like that, though? Where you do something, like, really good, but then you kind of have this, like, little twinge where you're like, ah, it's kind of about me. (laughs) You know? Uh, I feel it sometimes when I take out the trash, which I do every week, not trying to brag, but not every week, to be honest. But sometimes, you know, I take out the trash, walk out there, I'm the first one out there in the whole neighborhood, put my thing down. I feel so good about me, you know, I hit the gritty on the way back, like, hey, look around, nobody else has brought out the trash, super simple things. Sometimes you feel that, though, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Even, like, my best things I do are just stained with pride, stained with ego, because that's our best efforts. Even, even, even our best things that we do are stained, riddled with brokenness, with our own wounds that we still carry. 
So Isaiah says, I've seen it all. I've seen it. He keeps going. He says, your, your sacred cities have become like wastelands. This is, this is life on your own. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured, it lies in ruins. He's just saying, this is what happens without his presence. This is what happens on our own. The things that we treasure, they end up in ruins. I'm just wondering this morning, like, are you, are you, you, you just get tired? <laughs> just tired of trying to do things? I mean, New Year's, New Year's is coming up again, you know? Let's try again this year. Let's do it. I'm going I'm to do it this year. I'm a, I, love new, I do new month resolutions, just so you know. I just try it again every month. I just reset 12 times a year. That's the only thing better than a New Year's resolution. You get 12 of them. It's amazing. But I fail every month. <laughs> I mean, aren't you, t- I mean, you ever get tired? I'm all for, I'm all for self-improvement, but I'm just like, how's it going? <laughs> We're nothing without his presence. Are you track? I told you one point sermon this morning. That's all you got to write down. We need his presence. And so I just have a couple things here as we close that are some barriers to us experiencing his presence. And one is just our own presence. Our own awareness. Our own pace of life. Our own mind that's cluttered with a thousand things that makes it really, really hard to slow ourselves to experience the presence of God. It's interesting that Isaiah uses that language, and it's probably one of the hardest words if we just actually embrace it. Is he says, you work on behalf of those who wait on you. I mean, the Psalms are just peppered with that language. Waiting on him. You ever just wait on God? It's one of the hardest things to do. I'm an extrovert extraordinaire. Waiting is extremely difficult. But God is always in the moment. It's hard, to, it's hard for us to just stop and just like be here, you know? Even right now, like even as we sit here, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain about 80% of you are probably thinking about something else. Thinking about where's lunch? Where's dinner? Thinking about something about work? Thinking about something. And I, that's like, that's just normal life. That's how the human brain functions. But God is only in the moment. One of my mentors says, and I say this every time before I preach or try to say it before I meet with people. But he just tells me, fall in love with the moment and fall in love with the people. If you can just keep doing that again and again and again and again, our awareness, our expectancy, our, our longing for God's presence as we are present to him, it grows. Fall in love with the moment, fall in love with the people. So one is just our own presence, but the other thing is our own expectation. And we all bring expectation in here, right? You, you have expectations of what this morning was going to look like, right? Like you thought there's going to be coffee over there. I'm gonna, that's what I'm expecting. If it's not, for some reason everybody tells me about it, okay? It's just fine. There always, there's always coffee, all right? Relax, okay? You got coffee. You have expect, you're expecting some music. You're expecting someone to read the Bible. You're expecting someone to come talk. You're expecting to see certain people, right? We have all these expectations, but I wonder, and this is, I'm a Jesus juke you, okay? Just forewarn, getting your defensive stance because I'm about to juke the heck out of you. I wonder how many of us actually come this morning expecting to meet with God. Like, is that in your expectation? Like, I, I am expecting God who, who promises by his word to fill this place with his personal presence. Am I actually expecting to meet with that God? 
And I just want you to know, we, at our prayer times, he, sh- he shows up. He shows up. At our, at our noon prayer times, at our 845 prayer times, not every time, it doesn't always look the same, but he's there and he meets with us. And we're not just up here trying to heap up empty phrases to give ourselves some spiritual kudos. That's not why we want to be a praying church. We want to be a praying church because we're about his presence. And he shows up. And some of you know that. You've experienced his presence in a gathering. And so as I close here, that's what Isaiah has been about from beginning to end. Revealing himself, coming down to us. Jeremy talked about in Isaiah, in Isaiah 1, Isaiah's very name means the God saves. God saves. And I just wonder if that's what we actually expect from him. Do you actually expect him to be that God that we read about? The God who, who, who saves and heals and delivers? And these things that Isaiah prays, he, he, he doesn't pray just out of like a theology of it. He's experienced this God. And the interesting thing is about as we experience God, it actually grows our hunger. I mean, we, we read about encounters that Isaiah has with God along the way, and then Still, after encounter, after encounter, he's still he's saying, we need more, God. He's the only thing that when you, when, when you feast on him, when you experience that, you just only get more hungry. You know, it's like a good burger. You eat half of it, you're like, I'm hungrier than when I started, you know? Nobody can relate. Come on. We've said that before, and we've said it a lot, that, that hunger is the best sauce. You know? Some of you, 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 you think you had the best chicken sandwich ever. And I'm like, bro, you didn't. It was, a, it was average, but you were starving. And so it tasted really, really good. It's the best sauce is when you're hungry. And the more we experience his presence, the more we long for it. And that's what we want to be as a church. We want to be a church of his presence, a place of healing and formative encounters with Jesus, a place of salvation and prayer and pouring our hearts out in worship, a place where people come in and they say, God's here. What's the coolest thing about Trinity Community Church? God is there. His presence is here. Oh, I love their music. That, who, I don't even know. God's there. That's who we want to be. A people, a church, a community of his presence. It was the cry of Isaiah, and it's the cry of our hearts today. And so, Father, we just, we just come into your presence now, and we ask for more. Even now, we just wait on your presence, Lord. We can do nothing. We have nothing apart from you. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Even as we sing now, we welcome your presence. We ask that you would make us living temples, flooded and filled with your power, with your love, with your grace. I especially pray for those today who, who, who feel discomfort in your presence, who feel way more comfortable reading a, a book or listening to a podcast or always having constant noise. Any shame or guilt that, 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 that surfaces with that feeling of discomfort in your presence. I just have this even picture of, of, of a dad who knows that their kid did something wrong and the kid is acting super weird around the dad. They're like, I don't know if dad knows, but, but he knows. He knows. And he still is inviting you to him. 
Because his heart, even more than your heart, is for you to be in his presence. And so, Lord, just come. We ask with Isaiah and with Jesus himself that you would rend the heavens and come down. In Jesus' name, amen.